Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. We'll be in uh, Psalm 23 again this morning as we're going through Psalm 23 in our sermon series, but we'll be focusing on verse 2 this morning. As you turn there, let's go to Lord in prayer. O great and merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that for those who love your law, they find great peace. Lord, that nothing can make them stumble. Lord, we look to you for the hope of our salvation as we walk in your ways, as you are by our side. Lord, let our souls keep your word and your testimonies that In our souls, we would grow in our love for You and how You have given us Your Word. Help us to keep Your precepts and Your testimonies as we walk all the days of our life before You. pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now the Word of the Lord. This morning I'll be reading from the New King James Version. New King James Version, Psalm 23. A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Grass withers and the flowers but the word of our Lord will stand forever. The saying is that a picture is worth a thousand words. I think that's a true statement. In a picture, you, it would take a, a thousand words to describe a picture. However, I think that you could also say that a few words could paint a picture. Today, we look at merely just seven words in Hebrew, 14 in, in uh, English, that I think paints a glorious picture for us in the life of a believer. I would say this poetic line in Psalm 23 is one of the most famous parts of this psalm. Now we love the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. We, we pass quickly over, I shall not want. Of that image of a shepherd and their sheep. But I think we also love this scene which is painted before us in verse 2. You can almost picture it right now. The shepherd sitting on the side of a hill. Surrounded by his sheep. The lush green grass quiet pool of water that is close by, 
the blue sky that is above paints more than just the colors and the space. I think even in this, we, we get the, the feeling of emotions and feelings in this scene. It's not only just what is there. It's the atmosphere which is, surrounds it. There's not a care in the world. The shepherd is relaxed and therefore the sheep find all that they need. The sheep could talk. I'm sure they would be saying things like, our shepherd knows the best spots. Our shepherd knows the best spots. Or if we just see this line in the psalm as merely just a poetic scene to be able to paint, We see this as a, as a moment which gives us warm feelings. It makes us feel good. And I think we miss the great sense of comfort which is found in this line of the psalm. Especially when we don't feel like it. Especially when our life does not seem as it is in this picture. We would all love this picture to be true. But if we're real about our lives, it does not always seem this way, does it? As you're preparing dinner and the chaos ensues in your house, there are no quiet still waters, or more so in your life. Life is not always marked by these scenes. So how can we find comfort in this verse? To see more than just a picture in our minds. The realities in our hearts. Now before we look at this line, I need to highlight, we come to a difficult part. And there's difficulty when we come to Psalms. Particularly, at this line is a great example of this. We need to have this word of caution first. Now, we've mentioned before that that the Psalms are God's Word to His people. So when we come to Psalms which are poetic, how can we interpret a passage like this? Or put it, put it more another way, in a specific question regarding this Psalm. How do we understand green pastures and still waters? Does this mean that Christians should have green grass? Does this mean that Christians should have some form of still water that is around their house. This would be a literal meaning of this passage. We need to understand that the Bible has been given to us. And God has given us the Bible in many different ways. Now we're used to reading New Testament epistles. I think this is how we generally treat a lot of what the Bible deals with. So we take that way we read New Testament and we turn to Old Testament, especially when it comes to stories, we have a difficult task. Or when it comes to Psalms. And then, that, then we just merely treat it just as a poem. But as we looked at the first time, that it's more than a poem. We need to understand how God has given us His Word. And He's given us His Word in different 
categories, genres. You might say there's three big categories. Discourse. Lessons, teachings, epistles, narrative, stories, right? Or songs. Here in Psalms. So we have a great difficulty, and we have even more of a difficulty in the time in which we live. The end of the 20th century, the start of the 21st century. There began to creep in liberalism. And it begins to rise in mainline denominations. And they say something to the effects of this, that the authors did not have the same scientific understanding as we do. So when they write something, especially something that's supernatural, healings or resurrections, virgin birth, they don't understand it. They were just doing the best with what they had. They provided different interpretations to be able to understand what had happened. They used scientific meanings to explain passages. Correcting, incorrectly I would say, but correcting the ignorance of the biblical authors. So that's not really our problem in this passage. The problem is what follows. Is what follows, you have this group which comes up in this time called the fundamentalists. And fundamentalists say, no, we need to read the Bible as the Bible has been given to us. And ultimately they came up with five key things that make someone a Christian. They need to be, believe in the the, the bodily death and resurrection of Christ. They need to believe in the virgin birth. They need to believe in the supernatural works of God. And they had these five categories which says they need to be able to be to be a Christian. And this then began this divide of these two groups. But over this time, that, that word fundamentalist gets hijacked. What it gets hijacked to is that we take that philosophy, which is taken here, talking specifically about scientific disagreements, the liberalists would say, we read them literally. When Jesus said that he died and rose again, it means he died and he rose again. We don't need to try and explain that. But then what this creates is then this understanding of, well, we need to read the Bible literally. And there's, there's truth to that. Please don't hear me incorrectly. But I think better than reading the Bible literally, we need to read the Bible as literature. That if you want to understand the passages, you need to understand the genre in which that passage is written. And then that helps you understand and unpack that verse. So give an example. A difficult example maybe, but the book of Revelation. You turn to the book of Revelation and you say, here's what this is. Those people in that track, they say, well, we must lead, read this literally. And what you end up is having difficulty trying to explain the, the complex language which is in the book of Revelation. Of these images... And what you're left with is, is very confusing understanding of how the book of Revelation is. 
But if you understand the genre of the book of Revelation as prophetic literature, then you turn to the Old Testament passages and see how they spoke and used terms and then try and apply that to the book of Revelation. It helps you give more understanding. So then when you come to passages like this, how do you then connect it? What then does it have to say for life of a believer? Speaking of this image of sheep, what does that mean for us when we read the Bible? We need to understand, as we would read Genesis 1, 1 to 3 differently, as historical narrative, and not poetic literature. And you see, there's an issue. When people come to Genesis 1-3, to they say, well, this is poetic. And then it changes how you interpret Genesis 1-3. to You need to know where you are and what you're reading to help you understand what you are reading. So when we come to a passage like this, where it says that he leads me in green pastures, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me by still waters, how do then you apply that to the life of believers? If we read it literally... We have great difficulty, right? We should at least have green bed sheets or something. As we lie down, we should at least have some form of sound machine with some waves to try and make it similar. So I think you can take it too far. And ultimately you miss the text. Even going too far to be able to then interpret how green it is. Is green the important part of this passage? And what we turn to is allegorical interpretations. We're looking and digging in all the wrong places. This is common in the early church fathers. They would see connections that I would say are not biblical. For example, Rahab and the two spies of the scarlet rope would unpack and say, well, the scarlet rope represents Christ's blood. They make this jump and this connection that, you know, I don't see biblically. Or Noah's Ark. What's Noah's Ark made out of? Wood. What did Christ die on? Wood. Therefore, we see those connections. But I think if you, you go to those connections, you can miss the ultimate point that the author is trying to point us to. We're seeing connections that might not have ever ever been. But you could also see how this reasoning could eventually lead to, you know, quite an entertaining Monty Python skit. Where you'd see all these other connections after other connections and never actually understand the passage. Now I've laid out the challenge. How do you apply and understand a passage like this in our lives today? We need to be cautious about reading it literally. We also then need to be cautious about taking it too far, about colors and pastors and how they have specific meaning. So now with this understanding, let us turn to this passage and understand with this caution in our minds, now let Scripture do the talking as Scripture interprets Scripture. The main point, I think, of this passage is the Good Shepherd gives us rest. The Good Shepherd gives us rest. If you want to ask what the 
this line of the psalm represents is that exactly, that it is about rest. That when we are the sheep of the Good Shepherd, we find rest given to us by the Good Shepherd. Where do I get that from this passage? You're saying, you know, where's that in this passage? You're saying, let's read the Bible. I don't see that word at all, rest, in there. Let's have a look. Two main words here that I think give us that image of rest in this verse. First is to lie down. Although we might not know what it is like to be a sheep resting on the green grass, I think we all know that feeling of sliding into our favorite chair in our living room or on our porch, laying down in a freshly made bed. Although we all might have different places that come to mind, I'm sure in all of these different places we have all made that exact same noise. That, that noise of finally comfort. And to lie down is to have that feeling. Whether you sit down because you do not have anything else to do, or you sit down even before doing everything you have to do, there's a sense in this moment, this is where I'm meant to be. You do not want to leave this place. And this is what the psalmist expresses when he speaks of that lying down in green pastures. It's not the green pastures that's the main thing. It's the rest in which you find in the green pastures. That the sheep by the shepherd's side finds rest. We can all track with that, if you will. But I think the second is even a greater argument for why we find the good shepherd gives us rest in this passage. And it's not very well displayed in the English. But I think it's better explained in the original language. If we were to translate the Hebrew literally, it would say that he leads me by waters of rest. You can get that sense of that word when you see the still waters. They're not moving waters, they're resting waters. But here the shepherd leads the sheep. By waters of rest. You see that connection then of the green pastures and the waters. Both have that sense of rest. Not only just that it's a place in which you feel comfort, it's also a place that you do not want to leave. The long term place. You know that feeling when you then need to get out of that chair. Or the alarm clock rings in the morning. You need to leave your bed. But this word here in Hebrew is actually commonly translated resting place. It's always hard to be able to translate words because you know they all carry a sense and a scope of meaning. I think maybe a good word this might be find home. That home is, is not merely just a location in which we speak, 
home carries many more connective words that you might place with it. At home you find peace, at home you find security, at home you find warmth. For me as an introvert, it's a place I would love to stay. The psalmist writes in Psalm 132, The Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for His dwelling place. This is my resting place. Same humor word there is Psalm 23. Forever. There I will dwell, for I have desired it. The Lord has made His home. The psalmist says, The Lord has made His home, and my home is where His home is. David writes in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, and He's made me a place to rest. He leads me by waters of rest. In what ways do the sheep of the Good Shepherd find rest from the Good Shepherd? The first thing that we see is that we rest in His provision. Ezekiel 34 is a great passage of Scripture to be able to read and put in your minds as you're reading Psalm 23. We see that, that the model of, of leadership, of, of godly uh, shepherding. And in Psalm, 20, Psalm uh, 34... In Ezekiel 34, God explains that He is the Good Shepherd. He says that I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall there be their grazing lands. They shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down is the Lord. You can almost say that Ezekiel is unpacking this line that he makes me lie down in green pastures. What does then that look like? And so Ezekiel says that he provides for them that they might have rest, that they will lie down. Maybe one day we'll unpack that glorious passage of Scripture in Ezekiel chapter 34. We need to understand a little bit broader than just that passage that I read. The book of Ezekiel is written during the time of Babylonian exile. And one of the major themes in this book is during this time of exile, with the people of God, that God was not forsaking His promises to Israel. But this was a fulfillment of His promises to Israel that God would continue to show grace and mercy to His people, and a remnant would survive the exile and inherit His promises. They would see the restoration of the land in which they left. God would then live amongst them in the midst of them once more. And Ezekiel 34 speaks of the wicked shepherds to begin with, who neglected the sheep. For their own selfish gain. Instead of providing for the sheep, the sheep provided for them. Here's what the Lord says through Israel in verses 3 and 4. You, speaking of the bad shepherds, eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. 
The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. See here, what does the shepherd see as the sheep? The shepherd says, what can you give me? What can you provide for me? There's later in that psalm, in that Ezekiel 34, he says, I will provide for you. For God promises to be the shepherd. He is the one who promises that He will provide for His sheep. The rest is found when the Good Shepherd provides. Once we know we have all that we need given to us by the hand of the Good Shepherd, we repeat that line before that I shall not want. In a historical commentary, one of the authors expresses the abundance of God's provision. The greenness of vegetation is an aesthetic delight as well as a functional prerequisite to life. The plural suggests the shepherd never runs out of finding green pastures for his sheep. The good shepherd constantly provides. See this even in John chapter 10. When Jesus is speaking of having a life, He says that what the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What did those bad shepherds come to do? To take, take, take. Yet, He says, I, the Good Shepherd, came that they may have life and life abundantly. We find rest in His provision. Secondly, the sheep find rest in His protection. Philip Keller, who has a, was a shepherd for several years, written a popular book entitled A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Now it's gone through many different editions. And it's a helpful book to be able to look and see the cultural practices of what happens in the life of a shepherd and how they deal with their sheep. I think over sometimes the culture can become what interprets the Scripture rather than Scripture helping a, culture helping us understand what the Scripture said. But he, he shepherded in a lot of places like this, up in Egypt and in places nomadic shepherds might be. But he explains that it's next to impossible for a sheep, a shepherd to be able to make a sheep lie down. He said, it's not necessarily what you do making them, it's what's around them. That for a sheep to be able to lie down, they need four things. They need to be free from fear. They need to be, secondly, free from the friction from other sheep. Thirdly, they need to be free from flies and parasites. And finally, free from hunger. The beautiful images that are presented in these passages is ultimately not what is described in these passages, but also what is not present in our image. That picture that we painted before. There's no mention of danger. There's no mention of predators. Not only the shepherd found a place of provision, but also a place of protection. Now later we will see that there is a feast laid before the psalmist, even while be surrounded by enemies. That we can even find rest in 
unlikely times. It's a great reminder and to be reminded that, that David was a shepherd. And we find out what great lengths he went to as a shepherd to be able to protect his sheep. In 2 Samuel chapter 17, we find out that he wrestled with bears and lions to ensure his sheep were not harmed. We'll see more of this in further aspects of this Psalms, but consider these sheep. The sheep who have the hired hand, the bad shepherd who watches over them. Not only they don't care to provide for them, they don't care to protect them either. What happens when the wolf comes? They flee. There is no finding rest if you are one of the sheep of the bad shepherd. There is no rest for them. But finally, we find rest in His presence. His protection. His provision. And His presence. The difference really is, is not that the Good Shepherd never is confronted with a wolf. Both are confronted in the same ways. Both have dangerous situa- situations that surround them. But the difference is the hired hand, right? Who runs away as the Good Shepherd lays down the life for his sheep. But the comforting portion of all of this is that The Lord is my shepherd. That He makes me. He leads me. He is present here. He doesn't merely just point to the green pastures and say, go over there. He is there with us. That He makes the sheep lie down. He leads. He restores. Without the Good Shepherd, we would be wandering, worried, and wanting. Again, the glue of this psalm is the Lord is my shepherd. If we think this psalm is just about this image in our heads, we forget it's about a person, not a painting. It is about the Good Shepherd. That in themselves, the green grass and the still waters will never give us rest unless the shepherd, the good shepherd, is with us. Even notice the progression of this psalm. We'd just be happy to stay here, right? We'd be happy to stay in the green pastures and the still waters. The shepherd will tell us to move on. We're going to walk through the valley of shadow of death. Whether we find ourselves in the green pastures of life, by the waters of rest, or even in that dark valley of the shadow of death, we find peace because He is with us. Henry Light wrote in that hymn, Abide With Me, I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. If we think that if only we can find some place in our life, then we will have contentment. Then we will be happy. We will be horrifically disappointed. 
this is why that is so key. The Lord is my shepherd. It's not about that we are merely sheep wandering, that we have green grass to eat. The shepherd watches over us. The shepherd looks after us. The shepherd provides for us. He does that by being by his side. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is finding the Good Shepherd. Actually, the key is the Good Shepherd finding us. The rest is found in Christ. The rest comes from the Good Shepherd. Do you know of this rest? Does this rest give you this sense of feeling and emotion? Just in good high points in your life? Or does this rest help you when you walk through that shadow of valley of death? We find this rest from the Good Shepherd in His provision, which is His giving, but also taking away. He provides for us. We find this rest in His protection. Jesus tells His disciples before He's about to ascend and leave them all there on earth, He says, I told you these things, that you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. The Good Shepherd has victory. And we find rest in that. But all, finally, we find his, this rest when we say, the Lord is my shepherd. And my shepherd is forever at my side. In His presence. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Great shepherd, we give You thanks and praise. Lord, that You are the one who provides for us rest. We pray that we would find this rest in this barren land as we face the tribulation around us, that we would take heart and have peace for You are the one who has overcome the world. Let us find this rest with Your provision and Your protection, but most importantly, Lord, with Your presence. Help us to be able to see as we walk through this land we would find rest in You as we look to that ultimate rest which we'll find in heaven. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. 
please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.